At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, we believe theological education should be confessional. Because of our desire to identify with what Christ has done in His church throughout the centuries, we fully adhere to the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. This standard keeps us accountable and preserves us from novelty. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing with that. Uh, Certainly interesting, the letter that you have been able to share about uh, Bedham and Fuller conversing with one another, but... Uh, you previously alluded to some suffering that Bedham went through towards the end of his life. And so you've yeah. told us a little bit about that, but um, perhaps what lessons might we draw or what, what can Bedham teach us as one who has suffered? Well, <clears throat> you mentioned that and I, I, I want to share a hymn. All right. Um, this is when, whenever you preach, I don't know if you guys do this. I do. Um, you always find things on Monday that you should have shared on Sunday, all right? And so one of the things that yesterday I I spoke to was the issue that as believers in Christ, um, the evil intention of affliction is never realized for the believer because for the believer, God takes all things and causes them to work together for good. Uh, or to think of the story of Joseph, uh, what his brothers meant for evil, God intended for good. So affliction is never wasted on the believer. And those the, the, the horrible intention of the evil of suffering isn't realized in the believer's life because God overrules it and God, God reigns over it. And Bedham, Bedham writes a hymn, and he writes many, again, but this particular one was very interesting to the issue of his view of suffering. He says, unnumbered trials, doubts, and fears attend us in this veil of tears, but through the grace of God, our friend, they shall in lasting triumphs end. To those who him sincerely love, all present evils, blessings prove. Whom grace hath called and made his own, no fires can burn nor floods can drown. Lord, let this thought in deep distress our hopes confirm, our fears repress. Midst earth and hell's opposing powers, we still are safe if thou art ours. So this is better on suffering. He's thinking the evil intention of suffering is just not to be realized in my life because God overrules everything for good. He is my friend. He is the one who cares for me. He is the one who watches over me. So whether it's a physical point of suffering, whether it's ministerial struggle, whether it's church discipline and difficulties in the churches, uh, the minister can have confidence. The Christian can have confidence to know that God overrules these things for good. And and I would say this kind of commitment uh, carried with him through his his life. And uh, he had... uh, uh, I didn't think to mention this, but uh, he had several children who died 
some of which had very promising careers. Uh, uh, well, they had the potential for very promising careers. One of his children, um, I believe, had just finished his studies to be, um, I think, to be a doctor. And um, providentially speaking, he 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 dies of you know one of these kind of freak accident type things falls and hits his head and drowns. Um, Bedham learns about this uh, just prior to preaching, or no, I'm sorry, he learns about this just after having preached a sermon in which he encouraged his flock to trust the providence of God. Now, be careful what you preach. And uh, so, but what a, what a, what a grace that uh, the Lord does lead him to preach such a sermon um, because he probably worked in Bedham's own heart that week to prepare him for this very difficult news that was going to come. Uh, they lost other children. Uh, they did have difficulties in their, in their home, their family life, and in church life. And, but in all these things, God reigns. God rules over them. I, I know I have to remember that. I have, I have seven kids. I have difficulties in my household. Uh, I've been in a church now for, uh, oh, since 1998, uh, 22, 23 years now. We've had many difficulties in the church, many wonderful things. Uh, we, have, we have yet in all things to be treated as our sins deserve. And uh, God has been faithful in that. And so we, we rest on his purpose, which we don't always understand. So I think Bedham can teach us that. If someone, if someone were, were wanting to learn wanting more, to learn about, more Bedham, about Bedham, um, where, um, where, where can they go to do that? And what resources might they, they look to? Well, you know, we, uh, we grieve about the Internet and we thank God for the Internet uh, because what an amazing amount of material is available to us online. Um, there are plenty of places to Google Bedham. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how you pronounce his name. You just spell it right and you'll be able to get the information. Uh, he has, I mentioned earlier, eight volumes of sermons that were published uh, after his death. And uh, they are all housed at the Angus Library. You can get uh, probably about two-thirds to three-quarters of these sermons. You can find them online in different, in different places. Um, and so you can uh, also, also his library is at the Angus Library. Uh, he has a library of some 400 volumes, which would have been quite a few volumes for a country preacher in the day, right? Um, fascinating story with that. I think it's in the 1940s and the 1950s, uh, Ernest Payne, who was at Regents Park College and the head of the Baptist Union for years. Ernest Payne is in Borton on the water, crawling around in the attic of Bedham's home and finds boxes of books and it's Bedham's library. Don't know how long they've been sitting there, a couple hundred years, just there in the attic. And uh, what, a, what a great find. Um, you have Robert Hall's collection of Bedham's hymns, over 800 hymns. They're available on Google. You can get those printed. Uh, I did that. I got a copy of them. Uh, the Exposition of the Catechism. 
Uh, and then there are the church books in Borton, which again are pretty much available only at the Angus or if you can find somebody that's, uh, that's photocopied them. I don't know who that would be. But anyway, um, <clears throat> I haven't transcribed them. One of these days when I get really old and have nothing to do, maybe I'll transcribe the church books. That would be, that'd be a great project. And then his circular letters. So those are things that he's written. Those are his writings. Um, there have been various, uh, many biographies written on him, a chapter here, a little booklet here. Uh, some of these are, uh, are kind of uh, specific to a particular issue. Uh, there was a period of time in Bedham's life where the Goodman Fields Church uh, that he was baptized at is trying to get him to come back and pastor their church. Um, and uh, there's a collection of letters in the Borton Church books. And Kenneth Dix has uh, written a little booklet called Thy Will Be Done, which is a study in the life of Bedham. That's what it's called. And really, it's a study in like a... a, a a one or two year window into Bedham's life where the Goodman Fields Church is trying to get him to come and the Borton Church won't let him go. And uh, it's really interesting the way we look for churches today. You know, the guy would just go tell today, the guy would just tell his church, hey, so-and-so church has called me and I'm going to go over there to preach. Uh, in Bedham's day, that's not happening. Uh, the the Finally, Bedham just says to the Goodman Fields Church, I will do whatever my church tells me to do. And they tell him you're not going anywhere. And he says, okay, I'm resigned to whatever God wants. And that's how he determines. He determines God's call on his life by way of the authority of the local church. Um, there's an interesting point. Okay. Um, so uh, Michael Haken has written uh, uh, a little biography on him uh, in uh, the uh, particular Baptist Press's uh, five-volume set on uh, the British particular Baptist's. Uh, interesting little uh, book or kind of a kind of a thesis has been done by a man named Derek Holmes. Derek Holmes is, uh, gosh, he's probably in his 80s now, lives in, uh, in England, south of London. And he wrote a book on the early years of descent in Borton on the Water from 1655 to 1740, which would have been right when Bedham comes. But he includes some information on Bedham, which is helpful. There's some secondary works. Um, there was a, a book that I was uh, able to contribute a chapter to back about a couple of years ago. Uh, Michael Haken and a few guys edited a work called Glory to the Three Eternal. And this was published by, uh, I think we got it published by Pickwick, which is a, a division of Whiff and Stock. And it has six chapters uh, a different person contributing each chapter. And I did one on the issue of the modern question and the preaching of Benjamin Bedham. And that was that was great to be a part of that. Gary Brady, a pastor in, in London, uh, has a blog called the Bedham Blogspot. It's got a ton of information. It's difficult to navigate your way through the blog to kind of find things, but it's got a lot of stuff on there. Uh, there are some contextual studies that are helpful with Bedham. Uh, Roger Hayden has written a book called Continuity and Change, Evangelical Calvinism Among the 18th Century Baptist Ministers Trained at the Bristol Academy. And Anthony Cross, uh, who's over in, I believe he's in Amsterdam, he has done a couple of books on uh, the training of particular Baptists in the 18th century. 
uh, very helpful books. Uh, Daniel Ramsey has done a PhD dissertation on Bedham on his doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And um, Stephen McKay in Australia, a young, a young man, has just finished his master's thesis, which he did on um, uh, Bedham and Dutton, another 18th century particular Baptist woman. I think he did John Gill and somebody else. I forget. It's just he's just finished recently, and it is on um, the uh, Bedham's Trinitarianism. And I think Haken's written a little. Uh, article on Bedham's doctrine of the Trinity as well. And so um, that's that's a brief list of some things. I'm, I'm hoping one day, um, Lord willing, that I can get my dissertation published on Bedham. I think that would be helpful. I hope it would be helpful. Uh, kind of looks at Bedham. Uh, it gives a historical and a theological and contextual biography of Bedham looking at his his place within the evangelical strain of the Calvinist tradition in particular Baptist life. And uh, so we cover some of the things we've talked about today and other other things as well. But Well, Jason, we are appreciative of you and your time taking uh, this segment of time to talk about Bedham. And now that we've considered the life and ministry of this particular Baptist, Benjamin Bedham, what encouragements or takeaways would you like to give to our listeners to conclude this discussion? Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I don't know who all your listeners are. I'm assuming they're probably Calvinists. I'm assuming they're probably pastors or serious laymen and women uh, in the congregations. Um, so, you know, when I when I think of Bedham, I I think of Bedham. Um, I reflect personally as a pastor on a pastor. All right. So when I think of him, I think of him as a pastor. And uh, a couple things that just come out to me um, is the need one for a strong commitment to the maturity of the local church. Uh, he was a churchman, and he devoted himself to this particular flock. He saw himself first and foremost as a pastor of a local congregation uh, in his preaching, in his catechizing, his hymn writing, uh, he sees himself in all these things laboring for the church. So he's not, I, I know there are guys that when they preach their sermon, they've got their manuscript all done. They've got it footnoted on Sunday morning. And then on Sunday afternoon when they're done, they email their sermon off to the publisher because the entire thing is being done for publication. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, that's not what I do. I don't know if it's what you guys do. Probably not. All right. Uh, Bedham is writing his sermon and preaching his sermon for his church. The fact that his sermon manuscripts, which are probably scrappy at best, because he uh, uh, he's not he's not writing for 
um, publication, he would often not even take a manuscript into the pulpit. Uh, and in that one illustration I gave you, he'd just make it up on the way up the stairs, you know. Uh, he's preaching for a church. Somebody else takes his manuscripts or they take the notes that people make later on and build a sermon from that. So he's he's doing the same thing with his hymns. He's not writing these hymns so I can lead Faith Community Baptist Church to sing his hymns. He's not thinking about me. He's thinking about how can I take the points in this sermon and how can I make them more meaningful to my flock? Uh, when he's putting together his catechism, he's not even putting together his catechism for publication. I mean, it gets published because the association wants it and they use it, but he writes it first for the little kids and the adults that he's looking at on Sunday morning when he preaches. He is a churchman. He's thinking about his flock and everything that he's doing, all right? Um, so a, a, a need for a strong commitment on the part of a minister for a mature church. Uh, what does Paul say in his preaching? We proclaim him in order that we might present every man mature or complete in Christ. Bedham is preaching for the maturity of his church. That's what's on his mind. That it goes to other people is just the grace of God. Uh, but he's thinking about his responsibility with the flock. I, I really think uh, as ministers of the gospel, that needs to be our first commitment. Uh, but a lot of times we're worried about, oh, will God use me? You know, can I get on a podcast? I really hope I can get on a podcast. I'm on a podcast. But I didn't set out to be on a podcast. I, I, I read, my poor congregation, I read every paper that I did in the PhD program that I wrote on Bedham and other papers. I did every one of them for my church. Read them to my church. Talked about them with the church. Discussed them with the church. If it had never... If it had never come out in the end um, in a book or a PhD or whatever, it would have been worth it just to do it for my church. Um, the second thing I notice about Bedham is his strong belief in the centrality and the primacy of preaching. Uh, he is above all things a preacher. We've talked about that. Um, preaching should not be that thing that we give ourselves to when everything else is done in ministry. Preaching should be what we give ourselves to first. Uh, that has a point of primacy. All right. Uh, I see that in him. Uh, I see I see in Bedham, and I think this may be the first thing that endeared me to him, is I see a man committed to longevity in ministry. Um. Too many times men are thinking, how can I get to the next thing? Uh, how can I get to the next church? I got my resume on my file. It's ready to go. Um, I'm ready to send it out whenever somebody sends it. Um, I have been at my church now for 23 years. I do not have a resume. I plan to never write a resume. I plan to die here. As long as they'll put up with me, I'll stay here. And at the moment, I think I'm okay. You never know. I mean, 
Uh, job security isn't always perfect, but uh, you know they're they're putting up with me. And he he was asked. We didn't cover this, but he was asked three different times by three of the largest churches in England to come pastor them. He was sought out by the Goodman Fields Church in London, the Pithy Church where his father pastored. He wanted him to come there and replace him. The Exeter Church, about an hour south of Bristol, uh, wanted uh, wanted Bedham to come to, to their church. Every time, Bedham said no. Uh, not because he didn't want to preach to more people. He just wanted to preach to the people he had. Uh, and he never he never lacked for a group of people to hear him. Uh, throughout his entire ministry there, estimates are that he preached to about 600 people weekly in one service. Um, <clears throat> another thing I think on is uh, Bedham shows a commitment to sound theological and practical preparation for ministry. Um, I look back on my 27 years as a pastor and I wonder... I wonder sometimes uh, I might have been better prepared if I if I could whack off the first 10 years of that and just have 17 years as a pastor and have 10 more years of trying to get ready. Uh, Bedham does come to Borton on the water at a young age. He's in his early 20s. But keep in mind, he is grounded in the Reformed tradition those first 20 years of his life. He has the example of a father and a mentor in John and Bernard. Um, he, he, he doesn't come to reformed understandings and confessionalism later. He comes to them from the cradle, you know, and he's, he, he's raised in that. Uh, so, uh, he, he does have a sound theological and practical preparation. And I think that's important to consider, uh, when we're thinking about training men, thinking about training young men for the ministry in the future. Um, he has the blessing of a strong associational involvement. He sees that as important. It's not just something his dad would do or his mentor would do in Bernard Foskett. It's something he does as well. Uh, one, one last thing, and I'll, I'll be done. There's probably more stuff we could do. Uh, I see in Bedham a willingness to be forgotten. Um, this brings us back, Jimmy, to your picture. Um I, I I see Bedham as a guy that probably wouldn't have wanted his picture done. I see Bedham as a guy that's just happy to live in a little nothing town, preaching the word of Christ over and over and over and over again. And um, you know, there's an old there's an old line from uh, the the book Middlemarch. And it talks about how history is often shaped and forged by people who now live in unvisited tombs. Uh, people that are just forgotten. I remember back about four years ago when I went to Borton on the Water and uh, the local Baptist pastor and I uh, went to the cemetery and we had to dig around to find Bedham's headstone. And... Um, it was grown up with about three feet of grass all around it. We had to kind of push it out of the way and stuff to finally get a picture. And um, he, he just seems to demonstrate to me a willingness to be forgotten. Uh, not that he necessarily wanted to be forgotten, but just a willingness to do that. And I think there's a sense in which that needs to, that needs to, to, to be 
uh, in our heart in the ministry, uh, I'm not here. I'm not here to be remembered. I'm not here so people will know my name. I'm certainly not here for people to have my picture. That would be terrifying. Um, I am. Uh, I am here to preach Christ and to make Christ known. And if I die and no one remembers me, but they remember Christ, I think Bedham would be happy with that. And I'd be happy with that. So that's, that's probably about it. Amen. We have been discussing Benjamin Bedham with Jason Montgomery. Thank you, Jason, for coming on and, and sharing all your insights and learning about Benjamin with us. Thank you, brothers. I appreciate it so much. It's good to good to actually meet both you men and pray the Lord's blessing upon you. And uh, hope this uh, hope this podcast is an encouragement to uh, others. I'm sure it will be. And uh, pray you guys have many more years to do this together. Thank you guys for having me. Amen. And to our listeners, we wish you grace and peace. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to The Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.